If you're, if you're down Karen Way, just call Mitchell Toll. Or in Patterson Lakes, just call Mitchell Toll. Anywhere Bayside, just call Mitchell Toll. Buy a summer house, just call Mitchell Toll. Mitchell Toll. Real estate. Oh, yeah, little real estate. We want more. <laughs> Hello, I'm Con. And I'm Stav. And, and we're Eddie Nucky. You're listening to Radio Karam. You're listening to Rowan Print Method, where myself and a unique guest discuss topics that I find interesting and that you might find relevant to your life. On today's episode, we have Dee Simmons, who is a naturopath and functional medicine practitioner. Welcome to the show, Dee. Thanks, Rowan. Lovely to be here. Great to have you back. So for everyone, we had a bit of a technical malfunction, probably two, and we had a quick break, had a chai, and now we are back. So Dee, would you mind going over your backstory again? You've done so many amazing things in the industry, looking at just health, well-being, nutrition. So it's an interesting story. So I would love to hear it. Yeah, thank you. So I've been involved in the industry for over 15 years. Um, 10 of those years I've been in clinical practice and then a portion of it, I have been, um, a, I guess, a thought leader in the space. I've been developing products for some very, very large brands mm-hmm. in um, complementary medicines or dietary supplements. And I've also worked in the health tech space as well. Mm. Fantastic. Tell us about the food. I, I know those are with research and development. What specifically were you working on? Because there's a couple of different products. Yes, I've worked on some um, really cool products. So life-based probiotics. I was part of the original team at LifeSpace that brought that brand to life and uh, I, in the end, was the lead formulator for LifeSpace Probiotics. So, I've got a lot of experience working with probiotics and um, everything around the microbiome, which is a really cool space. Mm. Then I spent a year working for a large food manufacturing company that did a lot of contract manufacturing for some really large brands, um, including Coles and Woolies. Mm. Then I've also worked for Melrose Health recently. I was the head of science and MPD at that organisation and actually supervised a couple of clinical trials in that time, which was really fun. And then more recently, um, I've been working in Hong Kong for a large health technology company that specialise in DNA testing Mm. as well as early cancer detection. So very interesting. What an interesting uh, set of experience. Thanks. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I've been very, very fortunate. Yeah. So in terms of food, or actually let's go back to this, with clinical trials, it's the first thing that jumps out at me. There's a number of things that you said that I want to dig into, but what actually goes into a clinical trial? Because people throw out these peer-reviewed studies and things, but people Mm -hmm. really don't understand the process. So could you expand on that? Yeah, definitely. So a clinical trial is quite an extensive process. feat to to undertake. Obviously, there's a lot of um, great universities that run um, a lot of the clinical trials that um, we see for industry. So um, in the example of what I did at Melrose is we ran this clinical trial with in partnership with Monash University, and they've got a specific department that, that works with uh, you know industry to do that. And they have a, a number of PhD students that get assigned to your um, clinical trial and they help to build the trial from the ground up. And what's involved is basically what are you trying to achieve? What, are, what I guess, what, what hypothesis are you trying to test? Mm. And in the circumstance of what we did was we, we had a, a formula for a sleep product that mm. we wanted to um, 
commercialized, but we wanted to prove that it was effective. Yeah. And then we also were working on a product that we had for uh, in the market for a number of years, and we wanted to prove that greens, so superfood greens, yeah. were actually effective. Yeah. So how it starts is you actually do a lit review and you actually gather all the data for clinical studies that have been done on that topic relevant to your product or your, you know, your, your study uh, to, to actually see what the data is actually saying at the moment, where the current evidence is. So that's the first point. And then from there, it helps you to work out what your study design should be. Um, you work with, you know, thought leaders to try and work out, you know, how long that study design should be should should go for in collaboration with the university and then you sort of design i guess um the methodology and what you actually want to test and measure and what will that actually give you in mm. a tangible result so that's i guess what we do with a like a an initial like clinical trial so a, a, a pilot study and then from there you you basically run the study ideally you have a a, a design where there is um either you know a, a double blinding where you know one group um, is taking the the product, one's taking a placebo, no one knows who's taking what, so that's completely um, anonymous to both the researchers as well as the participants. So who monitors that then? Um, in that case, I did. Yeah, I monitored okay. that, yeah. yeah. So I assigned which product was which. Wow. Yeah, and um, then we ran the study and then we compared the results. A really good way to also do it is to do a crossover study where you actually give um, the first group product um, and then the second group placebo and then you swap over after a period of time and see if the results are replicated in both both groups and it just actually proves whether or not there are um, no I guess individual biases between mm-hmm. the different assigned groups so yeah. especially with a smaller design but basically we we ran the trials with um, groups of just over um, 60 people yep and so 30 in the control group that was having the placebo and correct the, yeah okay yeah, and basically at the end we, we analyse the results and with any um, pilot trial, you know, we, we can't really say conclusively like this results in this, but it gives you enough data to then go, okay, it's worth retesting this again with another group. Hmm. And that's where the organisation is now with the studies. Um, I'm no longer working with them. I'm off doing some other things as we're going to talk about. But, but very, very, um, very interesting and good to learn how to actually interpret that data, especially if you are wanting to learn more about how to help yourself because you hear these, uh, you know, individuals out in the in the world or these, you know, health coaches and, um, you know, people on Instagram, so Instagrammers, et cetera, um, influencers say that X is good for this, but unless you're able to go and actually see that for yourself, it's really hard to discern whether or not it's true or not or whether they've interpreted it correctly. So learning how to do that is actually a really great skill, I think, for individuals yeah. that are very passionate about learning for themselves anyway. That'd be a, it's a very interesting topic because there are people throwing out data from so many different studies. You know, someone's saying plants are killing you. People say meat's killing you. There's, know. You know, this supplement's beneficial, this supplement's not, and then someone else does a complete flip. So how do you know which one to listen to? Because It's, it's so, so confusing, isn't it? I, yeah. I really feel for um, everyone who doesn't have a health background because, oh, my God, even I look at some of the stuff that's thrown out and I'm like, where the hell did you get that information from? I'm going to go look at that data now and I do. I go and like, I go, that's absolute BS. Like the one about you shouldn't eat plants, plant food, it's going to kill you. You know, there's a big, you know, in the the carnivore diet space that, you know, these plant foods are, are terrible for you and the rationale behind where they got that information from. I'm just like, it's absolutely crazy. Like we, we need plant foods to survive. 
not saying that you shouldn't eat meat. I'm not advocating for a vegan diet, but, you know, there's definitely benefit in eating whole plant-based foods. Like, and, and there's a lot of data behind the longevity of great communities and how they've thrived and lived very, very healthy lives because they've eaten a lot of plant food. Yeah. So anyway, side, side note. But it's very, very hard to discern the information. But what I would be doing if I were um, a listener, I'd be looking at what are these people's credentials? Are mm. they citing the actual studies? Are they actually putting the references behind what they're saying? Or they're just throwing out these, you know, these claims that aren't backed? Mm. Um, I think that's a really great way to kind of at least sift through the fact from fiction research it yourself, jump on Google, see if you can find the clinical study yourself. Jump on Google Scholar. You just type in Google Scholar in the Google search bar. It takes you straight to Google Scholar. You type in, do plants kill you? See what pops up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you'll see very quickly that, you know, some of these statements are, you know, false or at least they're not backed by any scientific credibility. Yeah, I think a lot of stuff is just anecdotal evidence that people are throwing out there. And I guess, you know, how you feel is an important aspect, but no one size does not fit all for everyone as well. That's so true. We're also individual and a lot of it comes back to, you know, your genetic background, your genetic makeup. That's where DNA testing can be quite good because it can actually, um, you can do nutrigenomic testing now to kind of see what ancestral sort of um, background you come from, what nutrients are more important for your particular makeup, mm. what you need, and also like what sort of, you know, diet would suit you best. Yeah. Is there a DNA company that you would recommend? That- There's quite a few of them out there, so I'm not going to recommend any specifically. Um, just make sure that you're looking at what they're, they're testing. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Can you expand on what a naturopath actually does, what it is, and maybe how it compares to a functional medicine practitioner? Yeah, definitely. So, so a naturopath um, is someone that's almost like the GP of the natural health industry, so we are skilled in um, diet, lifestyle, herbal medicine, um, and nutrition, as well as there's some other complementary therapies that were you know part of naturopathy, including um, homeopathy, mm. um, flower essence therapy, iridology. So there's, there's quite a bit that's sort of packaged up in what a naturopath does. But essentially what we do is we assess you as a person, as a whole, we don't look at things from disease. We don't look at things reductionistically in, in terms of like, you know, I've got gut issues. Is it just the gut? I don't look at it just as the gut. I look at the mind. Mm. I look at the nervous system. I look at everything in totality as you as a whole person and help work out what's actually going on and get to the bottom bottom um, of, of that and use those sort of modalities to help support you getting to a place of better wellness. Conversely, functional medicine does that too. But functional medicine takes it to a, a level of it being very scientific. Mm-hmm. So there are, you know, GPs actually work in functional medicine as well. But essentially we all want the consumer or the, the patient or the client, whatever term we want to use, to have the very best of all of the scientific knowledge we have now mm-hmm. in the world. So so functional medicine is about how do we integrate all of the different paradigms and using science and evidence to get that best outcome and get to the bottom of what's actually going on. So using root cause analysis, what is the cause of your inflammation? Let's not just give you a supplement for inflammation. Let's not just put you know fish oil in the body or turmeric. Mm. Like, let's get to the bottom line of where the inflammation is coming from. What's the driver? Is it because you have you know an underlying infection somewhere? Is it you know you might have a tooth infection? 
that can be a cause for some individuals. It could be that you're not getting enough um, key nutrients to support the inflammatory markers. Like there, there's, a, there's a number of reasons. Dietary insufficiency of omegas is another. It's like finding that root cause. Yeah. So that's what functional medicine does. It's about taking naturopathy to a, a more scientific level. Yes, yeah, so you're like a detective pretty yeah, much. You much. are problem solving everything. Yeah. There's so many things that could be going wrong with the human body. Definitely. And there's so many different causes. And I, if I really think about this, I think a lot of people would have an understanding about their bad habits and potential things that they're doing that are, are causing issues. Then again, there might be other people that are very health conscious, might be doing something wrong that they're completely and utterly unaware of. How hard is it to get to the bottom of what's actually happening? It's not that hard, actually. I think the challenge is looking at it from an objective perspective, and even naturopaths or functional medicine practitioners have to see someone else. Yeah. I know I see someone for, for my health because I sometimes need someone to say, you think you're doing the right thing, but I know that's not doing good for you. Yeah. So sometimes you just need that other person to look at it. So it's not that hard. Um, but sometimes we do also need to look at functional pathology testing where we dig a bit deeper. We look at blood tests that your GP wouldn't normally run. We look at things that, um, are, you know, I guess not the standard Medicare tests. So a good example of this would be GI mapping or microbiome mapping. We can actually see what's going on with all your different um, good and bad bacteria. Is there an overgrowth in a specific area? Is that a known pathogen? Maybe that's the trigger for some things. Mm. So it's about really just diving deep and actually investigating thoroughly. Mm. Yeah. We can do that with questioning as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. But I love the fact that you have, you're actually looking for things that you can measure at the same time with blood tests and stool tests and all these other things as well, instead of just, you know, how the person feels on a particular day, because yeah, I'm sure that would lead to a lot of things, but without the actual concrete stuff, it'd be quite challenging for maybe some people to even take it on board because maybe they don't have the evidence to see it, something tangible. Definitely. I think that's really important for compliance. So if you are on this, you know, wellness journey and you're having to buy supplements and you're doing these tests and, you know, you're spending money on seeing a a practitioner, you want to be able to notice some sort of benefit. And the, the human mind's interesting, and I know that you know this better than anyone, Rowan, in that sometimes we forget how bad we did feel. Mm. So what can happen on someone's health journey is their their energy levels go from a, you know, four out of 10. So they're, you know, sort of just crawling out of bed and just basically surviving to a sort of a seven out of 10. But you ask them, how's your energy? And they're like, oh, it's not that great. I'm still yeah. not feeling better. But it's like, you've improved. You've improved significantly since we saw you, you know, a month ago, but you still don't feel where you want to be. So you don't notice the improvement and the human mind is quite interesting. Yeah. We forget quite easily. Yeah. And that applies to anything. If you look at people in terms of their fitness journey and people, they want to lose weight and like you ask them how they're doing and they've lost 10 kilos, but they focus on how much more they have to lose and not acknowledging how far they've come. Even entrepreneurs, anyone pursuing any sort of avenue in life, we forget the process that we've been through and the accomplishments and we refuse to celebrate those wins. It's, yeah, that forgetfulness is very interesting to hear it apply to someone's physical health as well. It really does. Really, really does apply. So what are the main issues that people come to see you about? I know you mentioned uh, we're talking about uh, gastrointestinal issues. What else? What, what are the things that pop up, the common ones? So the common ones tend to be so gut health issues. Yes, um, I often see a lot of like complicated gut issues. So it can be things like gastritis, someone's got ongoing um, IBS or um, they might have irritable bowel disease. So they, they tend to be quite common. Exhaustion, fatigue, 
inability to like just be their best self. Like they're just mm. feeling, they just feel shit. <laughs> <laughs> There's no better way to explain yeah, it. Yeah. Like, I just feel like shit. I just don't feel myself. I'm, you know, that, that's sort of the the narrative I, I hear on a on a regular basis. So mm. hormones as well. So um, dysregulated hormones and then immune deficiency issues. So often when we push our bodies to a point of like the brink and where, you know, even if we're not feeling that tired, it can really set our immune system off and then we can develop autoimmune diseases. I did a lot in the cancer space when I first started practicing. I don't see a lot of cancer patients anymore because I like to refer to practitioners that really just focus in that area now. Happy to see individuals if, if they really want to see me, but I think um, my space is really around helping people to feel well. And coming from a, a background where I've been an executive, I know how important it is to be at the top of your game in order to succeed whatever your career goals are. So if you need to be publicly speaking, if you're part of a, a board, if you're you know managing you know direct reports, the stresses and challenges of being in um, a role like that or being an entrepreneur in order to, you know, do the hustle, to like keep that motivation going, to be able to, you know, show up every single day as your best self, to keep um, motivated, to emotionally be able to handle the challenges that life throws at you, the stresses, because that, that in itself can be quite challenging in both scenarios. And just being sharp and being yeah. able to just like not procrastinate, to be able to like focus correctly, that's the sort of work that... I think um, functional medicine can be very, very good at supporting. Yeah, it's interesting because it's not just for people that have a physical illness. It's no. for also people that want to be at their absolute best, the people you described. Correct. And we, we throw a term out in the industry called biohacking. It's like taking your body from like your well to a place of like elite. It's yeah. like how can you be one of the, the overachieving geniuses out there in the world? That's what biohacking can do. And we can do that. With functional medicine. With functional medicine and talking about that jump from, you know, let's say someone was from in a place of sickness and then you're looking at someone that's normal, which has pretty much got sickness anyway, and then you're trying to take them to the position where they're thriving and they're at the top of their game. A lot of people go, you know what, I've got to sprint at this period. I'm just going to have six coffees. And I know we were talking about burnout and things. Is it just as simple as including a new supplement in terms of biohacking? Do they need to address other things to get their body to a healthy state before the supplement will actually do something? I know you mentioned with uh, talking about adaptogens how there is an importance to actually have quality nutrition at the Correct. same time. So what's the process? Because I know many people are just like, you know what, I'm going to take what's – a, what's a supplement that's being thrown around a lot? Um, like ashwagandha. Yeah, ashwagandha always popping up. Everyone's loving that. There's another one uh, that uh, became popular through Huberman, which is for boosting testosterone levels. What Tonkat Ali. Oh, and yes. says, yeah, I'm just going to take that and that's going to solve all my problems. But they're still eating, you know, packet of – bag of dim sims and everything else as well and not having any sleep. So <laughs> what what's the process? Look, I think the process really is if you have symptoms and signs um, that are presenting to you that are, are what I consider almost like alarm bells, like your body's saying something's going on, you need to address that first because we could do lots of things to, I guess, biohack your health. But if you've got an underlying um, manifestation of illness going on within the body, that's always going to be your body's focus. So your body's – we have this thing called homeostasis. Yeah. So our body always wants to be well and its focus is always about trying to fix whatever's not well. So the body's constantly like that. So if you're trying to supplement um, with, you know, testosterone boosters or things like that to improve your athletic performance, get your gut health is shit, 
you're going to be taking these supplements and they're not going to absorb. Yeah. So it's about addressing that first and fixing it and then we can get you to an elite level. It's interesting because most people don't even want to entertain that aspect. So I, I'm just going to go to Chemist Warehouse or wherever or some dodgy place online. Just give me the supplement, I take the pill and I'm going to feel better. And then they wonder why they don't. Yeah, exactly. And and also we were talking um, earlier before um, when it was just us before we are on, on air a lot of products in Chemist Warehouse are absolute rubbish. Like I've been developing products for a very, very long time. I know all the raw material suppliers in the world. I've been to every trade conference um, where they exhibit what they do. And I can tell you there's a, a lot of products, unfortunately, made with good intention, but they're unfortunately they have to substitute cheaper ingredients because they're trying to keep the price point low. So it is um, suitable for the Chemist Warehouse model. Yeah. So, you know, but there's a price point we all used to try and target. If you have to spend more than a dollar a tablet or if the product costs more than $40, mm. it's not going to be commercially viable for consumers to pick it up. Yeah. So unfortunately, if you want a good quality product, you're, you're spending more than that. How can someone take charge of their health then? Because if you're looking at hypothetically a dollar a tablet for an entry level product that yeah. we're just talking about, it's debatable how good a quality that thing actually is. Yeah. Being healthy can be quite expensive for people. And if they're taking multiple supplements a day, how do they do it? Because I imagine supplements would be one of the, la- the first things that goes when they've got bills and uh, financial issues, particularly with uh, the way the economy is going as well. Definitely. So to be honest, diet and lifestyle is more important than taking supplements, mm. in my opinion. If you can get diet and lifestyle right, often you don't need supplements or you might just need one mm. for something. You don't need – I'm not an advocate on taking any more than three. That's my rule Okay. all my, my, my clients that I see. If you're taking more than three supplements – you're not doing the, 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 the work yeah. in your life. Yeah, so like the lifestyle and the nutrition factors. Correct. Very interesting. So if you were to pick the three, what are the biggest <laughs> three like the bang for your buck for people? Oh, okay. Um, bang for buck, look, I, I think anything to support ongoing gut health. So yeah. a, um, a probiotic with prebiotics in there would be probably my first thing. Um, or if you're, if you're not willing to eat fermented foods mm. and lots of them. Then my second would be probably a magnesium Mm. because I think a lot of us are deficient in magnesium. We're not getting enough um, through our diet. And so for me, it's it's about how can we support your nervous system because we are in an always-on culture. We are overstimulated. People are stressed and our magnesium stores are depleted all the time because of that. So I would advocate for a magnesium supplement. And it's not necessarily that you need to have it every single day, but having it in the cupboard for those – days that you're feeling like a bit anxious, you're feeling yeah. like a bit restless, it's a good time to, to take to take it. Yeah. And you might be feeling that for an ongoing period of time. So you take it every day for a couple of weeks and then you just take it when you need it from there. So mm. magnesium probably be my second one. And then my my third would actually be the, the B group vitamins because, again, really hard to get enough of them in our diet. So I um, I use a great analogy um, with, with B, B vitamins Sure, you can have a little bit of veggie bite. Sure, you can have like, you know, some some meat because um, that's where, you know, most of our B vitamins are or in our whole grains that aren't processed. But by the time you cook these things or you add heat to them, it destroys them. Yeah. So it's actually really hard to get enough B vitamins. We were talking about this before we went on air and you were saying, obviously, the quality of food, the you know lack of minerals in the soil and the way that it's actually processed. How hard is it for people to get adequate nutrition 
through whole foods in today's generation if they're not eating organic and yeah, just exploring that. If you're buying your produce from a supermarket, chances are it's almost impossible. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the fact is we uh, like commercially um, the agricultural industry now um, is producing things on mass. So they're not cycling crops properly. So the soil is depleted from nutrients and it's not just minerals, it's, um, you know, trace elements too, which are, are essential for our health as well. Then we're picking the food prematurely, putting them in these cold storage facilities for months mm. often. And so the produce is underripe when it's picked or just, just on ripe. So um, the, those nutrients haven't been able to form as well in the produce anyway. And then we consume it. And it's a good example with our fruits. So fruits are often picked underripe. So they haven't had the chance to um, develop all of their nutrients whilst still connected to its mother, the tree. And then we're eating it. So our, our food is depleted effectively. Yeah. So you need to be eating, you know, three or four bananas that's conventional to equate, you know, with something that's organically grown in your backyard. Yeah. And then I imagine if you put in there that other element where people have got gut issues, so they're not even absorbing the food that they're taking in anyway, and it's already depleted. Yes, and I see a lot of this, and I actually I see it so much more than I, you know, than I, I'd like to. And our our guts are affected because we're not eating properly. Firstly, then we eat too much gluten, and gluten can actually irritate the stomach lining. Gluten's okay in small. Um, in small amounts, like everything in balance, but we're eating gluten with breakfast, we're eating gluten with lunch, we're mm. eating gluten with dinner. You have one serve of gluten a, a day, fine, as long as you're not a celiac, obviously. But if you're having three serves of it a day or two serves of it a day, no wonder your, your gut's being irritated. Then we're eating on the go, so we're not sitting down, relaxing, actually stimulating our digestive juices so that we can actually trigger the body to be ready for digestion. Mm. So that Im- impacts our food, and uh, um, sorry, impacts our digestive tract. Then we're also eating a lot of processed things, a lot of sugar, which actually can damage and irritate the, the gut lining. So it's just all compounded. Yeah. And so all of that creates, um, I guess, an environment where digestion is not optimal. So we're not breaking down the food properly. Or if we are, we've got intestinal hyperpermeability, which is where our food is actually being absorbed through the small intestines in larger molecule sizes because we haven't broken it down properly causes inflammation and then we're actually not absorbing the actual micronutrients from that food. Yeah. It's funny because you're talking about how taking a holistic approach to someone's health. It seems like many people out there are taking a holistic approach to ill health. There's so many different elements that are coming in, like from left, right and centre, that's leading to a pretty shitty outcome. Well, it's just unfortunate. It's like the 21st century that we're living in. We're working long hours, we're we're not getting time to be out in nature. We don't get time to actually sit and digest and eat our food properly. We are on the go so we're not, you know, in a position or a lot of us are not in a position to grow our own produce. So we're going to the supermarket out of convenience. We're mm. buying prepackaged foods. So, yeah, we're, we're just not being set up for success anymore, which mm. is such a shame. But there are ways to obviously circumvent that and that's what I guess um, us naturopaths and, and um, nutritionists and holistic health practitioners can help facilitate you on your journey to, to do that and work out tools to do that. Yeah, that's fantastic. In terms of pre-packaged foods, and I know you had some involvement with these meals, and I know I so many people out there that their solution to not going through the drive through at Macca's is to get a pre-packaged meal and potentially that they, yeah, they don't want to go to the charcoal chicken or something like that. So yeah. they are trying to make a better decision. How good are they? 
Because I know there's, there's a few mixed reviews. Yeah, look, some some are better than others. Um, my my challenge with a lot of these prepackaged foods is the macronutrients aren't very balanced, and so you see, we, we we're meant to have five serves of fruit and veggie in a day. <laughs> What's a serve serving size? Well, it's a cup of something raw. Mm-hmm. It's usually, um, you know, a cup of something like broccoli cooked. Yeah. It's you know two cups of lettuce. In, in its whole That'll salad. be one serve. That'll be one serve. Really? That's a lot of lettuce. Two medium-sized carrots is a serve of vegetables. Okay. So thinking about that. No one's getting five serves. Not many people <laughs> get, Well, actually, I think those stats are one in eight Australians are getting um, their recommended five really? serves a day. I salute you, the one in eight. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Good on them. Um, so, you know, it's really hard and a lot of our micronutrients are coming from those um, – those five a day, as well as our good quality meats as well. So if we're not getting those five a day, what we're often getting in these prepackaged meals is a meal that's usually filled with what I call fillers. So it's usually like a lot of white potato or it might be filled with um, a a bunch of pasta or something carb-rich or Mm. rice, which doesn't have a lot of nutrients. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, I guess, the challenge there. So it's not a balanced meal. Yeah. So in terms of that... On the topic of fillers, I know a lot of people that are in the health space that are essentially making their meals out of fillers, as you described. There's been a big focus now on the importance of protein and people are going out to upper limits, which we'll have to go back to shortly. But it is just, you know, we'll throw in rice, we'll throw in pasta or whatever as a filler, particularly people, you know, in a fitness industry because they're trying to hit a certain calorie level. Correct, and it's the easiest way to do it. Yeah, but they're they're definitely not hitting those five serves of fruit and vegetables per day. Yeah, and they're not getting the micronutrients that they need um, alongside that either. So, yeah, I see see that a lot. Um, I was working with um, a a girl a couple of years ago and she was doing a lot of um, bodybuilding. Mm. work and she had this wonderful personal trainer that she loved and who, who who did really good work with individuals for prepping for body comps yeah and she was following this diet and i was saying to her i've been noticing you're getting sick a lot mm. and you're really run down and you're a bit moody and you're stressed and i'm like what's going on talk to me what's going on and so she kind of shared that you know you know she's feeling really run down feeling overwhelmed blah 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 and i, and I, I said to her look i don't i don't want to judge but i've been observing what you've been eating and i don't think you're eating enough food yeah. Well, at least what you are eating. And she's like, no, 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 it's been perfectly calculated to my my um, caloric needs by my trainer and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, but I've seen this proportion sizes. And I know that you're a smaller girl, but like I think that you're depleted in nutrients and I think that's affecting your, um, your mood. I think it's affecting your ability to concentrate. I think it's impacting your immune system. I'm like, I, I think you really need to, if you're going to do this, you either have to buy some organic produce or we need to get you on a supplement to like, support you in this time. And at that stage, the best thing for someone like her was a micro, um, a multivitamin because she was like depleted in everything. Yeah. It's really interesting. I'm glad that you brought this up because I have this discussion with so many people. I get people that come to me and, you know, they're on a fitness journey or usually let's change it. It's nothing to do with fitness. They want to look fit. So they actually want to lose weight and they want to look better naked. That's essentially the goal. Yes. Don't we all want to look better naked, let's be honest. (laughs) But the whole thing is they're on a really, really low calorie diet, ultra low calorie deficit. And then they go, we're going to ramp up training intensity, volume, frequency, and everything at the same time. They've already got a stressed lifestyle. Maybe they've got kids, a mortgage, long hours at the job. And then they're like, you know what? I'm going to cut out an hour of sleep as well to be able to go and do this physical training. 
And I'm like, man, you're a hundred and something kilo guy and you're eating like a bulimic girl, like, you know, 1100 calories or something at this point. It's just, it's not sustainable. And they wonder why they feel like crap. Yeah. And then they always flip out at the end. They can't do it for an extended period of time and they end up worse than they started. And look, it really impacts your entire mental health doing it. Mm. Um, and I, I guess I've seen that firsthand. I also, like when I was a student, I was working in a bodybuilding shop and I used to sell a lot of these protein products and I'd yeah. see these clientele coming in. So I've, I've been exposed to quite a bit of it just like you have with what you've done, Rowan. And look, I, like, a, you know, I, I completely understand the desire to want to look fit, look well, feel well. But I think the way that sometimes it's done in the industry is a, for health. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not the health industry. That's no. a, that's it's a completely uh, different industry, and I'm glad that you've raised that. In terms of eating for health, how does that differ to someone that you know? You're talking about the fitness industry. You had some experience in a, in a obviously a supplement store. What are the key differences you see from people out there that might be a, a fit influencer that's pushing an agenda with some crazy fad compared to eating for health optimization? Well, I mean, firstly, it's not showy. Yeah. Um, that's definitely like the first key thing but um it's usually individuals that are you know on a journey to do things in a way that it's not just about their health a lot of individuals that are very health conscious are also about how can i have a positive impact on the environment too and how can i lessen my footprint so um in, in a health food sort of setting i guess you do attract those individuals that are, are about you know not just themselves but about the world mm. and are just wanting to um, do better, basically, and buy better. Yeah. That's a really interesting point. Not what I expected, but I, I'm very, uh, I like that detail. Yeah. In terms of mental health and diet, supplementation, etc., so many people are suffering from anxiety, depression. They are. There's uh, obviously issues with neurotransmitters. There's obviously the, the gut-brain barrier. Correct. Do you want to expand on that for us? Because I know a lot of people aren't aware of how involved this actually is. Yeah. So, I mean, firstly um, – our, all our systems of our body are interconnected. So I think we always need to remember that our brain is connected to our nervous system, which is connected to our digestive system, and so and then all the way back up. So it's intrinsically interrelated. So everything that we consume will have an inf- impact on our digestive system that will also impact the rest of our systems around the body in terms of like, have we got the right micronutrients as the precursors for our neurotransmitters? So our neurotransmitters are the chemical messages within our brain and within our body as well, our hormones. And if we don't have the right micronutrients getting through to our body, then the neurotransmitters and hormones will, will be um, out of balance. Mm. And it, I see it a lot. And pharmaceutical drugs like antidepressants are a great example. They're designed to mimic the activity of the neurotransmitter or work in a way to like block a receptor to encourage more of it. But if your body's not producing that neurotransmitter Mm -hmm. in the first place, it's often because of nutritional um, status. Yeah. So what we need to think about is when we're living a lifestyle where we're, you know, I guess always on the go, always busy, very stressed, Mm -hmm. that chews up a lot more nutrients than what, um, we would have had when we were living, you know, 70 plus years back. So our needs are increasing because of our lifestyle Mm. and also because we're living longer, but that's another um, side discussion we can talk about later. When we're not getting enough of those nutrients, we see prevalence of of depression, 
prevalence of anxiety and just nervous conditions mm. because, yeah, we don't have like the right amount of magnesium, the right amount of zinc, the B vitamins to actually produce those hormone precursors or we're not getting the amino acids from our protein, which are the, the building blocks of our protein because we're not digesting our food properly. Yeah. There's so many different aspects and I know a lot of people are so desperate just to feel better and they just want a quick fix. So they, they go with, I was going to say quiet desperation. I'm going to rephrase it. actually screaming desperation to the GP, particularly yeah. with how flooded the health, the um, mental health industry is right now. There's a long waiting list for people to see psychologists and psychiatrists. So they just give me something to make me feel better now. Yeah. But a lot of those people that I speak to, they still don't feel good. They still don't. They still are suffering from severe symptoms. It takes a long time to find the medication that actually works for them. It does if take ever. a while. Yeah. And look, this is something. So my my husband um, suffered from really really severe mental health issues before we met. Um, he actually was on a, a really really long journey of um, really really terrible terrible depression. And look, I'm not saying that some of these things weren't lifestyle related or things that had happened to him, but he didn't have the coping mechanisms. Mm. Or I think the baseline nutrition to actually deal with these situations better because when your neurotransmitters aren't balanced because you're not getting the right nutrients, your ability to cope with things um, basically is compromised. Yeah. Because you just – you have a heightened response to things in a, in a negative way. So you have too much, you know, uh, glutamate, which is that excitatory neurotransmitter. So you're on edge. You're always stressed versus and, – and the way that you show up and deal with environments and situations – is very different to when you've got a better production of, of GABA, which is more that relaxatory um, neurotransmitter where you can actually feel calm and not hyper-reactive in a situation. Yeah. It's interesting because there's so many tools that people are talking about hyper and hypo-arousal now. And, you know, we've got things like breath work and meditation. Yeah. People are using mindfulness as strategies, but a lot of people are ignoring nutritional and how it actually can have an impact on how we physically and mentally feel. Definitely. In terms of calming the nervous system, I know you mentioned magnesium, GABA. What other things can we look at? Well, look, to be honest, I'm all about lifestyle as well. So I think breath work is amazing. I think things like meditation or finding what mindfulness is for you mm. um, is very, very, very effective because, yeah, nutrition plays a part of the puzzle. But if you're not doing things within your lifestyle as well, I mean, the best way to calm yourself when you're in a situation of stress is breath work. Yeah. Like, and it's instantaneous and it's free and you can do it anywhere. Yeah. You don't need to be carrying around a, a bag with, you know, supplements in there. So I, I would always advocate for those things first and just, just breath work. Um, and box breathing, you know, is a great, great uh, way to do that. I don't know if that's what you like to yeah, practice. Yeah, I had a lot of people use box breathing. And so box breathing is a great one because no one even knows you're doing it. Yeah. It's a very simple thing. But even just anything that's going to slow the exhale down for people before Definitely. they actually introduce breath holds. As you said, it's a usable tool that people have access to at any given moment, which is fantastic. But I'd imagine if you got the fundamental issues around nutrition and potentially lifestyle factors, the need to have that tool would be less and less yeah, definitely. because you wouldn't be having that heightened state anywhere near as much. Definitely. And I'm a big advocate for obviously anything using breath work and mindfulness, etc. Yeah, yeah. But as you said, they're pieces of the puzzle. They're all parts of the puzzle. But I mean, to answer your question, there's other things like herbal medicine. So, you know, a really good quality um, herbal tea that's designed to be more of a, a nervine. So a nervine is a, a herb that acts to like relax the nervous system. Mm. So some individuals, um, 
need more sort of nervous system support than others. They're more prone to these sorts of issues. But if we're drinking lots of coffee, and a lot of people do, they'll drink, you know, three or four coffees in a day, even more sometimes, that's overstimulating your nervous system. Yeah. And so it's no wonder people feel like on edge and they're like anxious when yeah. they're drinking that much coffee yeah, or, I found or caffeinated that. beverages. I found that with myself. So I have a decaf now purely because I got used to having coffee. I didn't yeah. have any coffee until my 30s and I was already – Pretty much on the go. I think and I remember that years ago. You, you were, we, we couldn't give you anything. No, we? I couldn't have anything like that. No, any caffeine, I'd be just running around like a madman. So I, I don't know, somehow in my 30s, I thought it was a great idea to get on a coffee. I started having it and this anxiety started developing. And I, if I had two in the day, I was wrecked. It just did yeah. not work. I would not sleep, particularly if it was late in the day. So if someone invited me to have a coffee catch up, it would not end well. <laughs> so I eventually phased it out and then completely it felt significantly better. Yeah. And, you know, Everyone was looking for ways to heighten themselves. And you look at a lot of people out there that are looking to self-soothe with things, whether it's drugs and various other forms. They're looking for that excitability. But they're neglecting the fact that we need strategies and tools to calm ourselves. So like as you're mentioning, magnesium, a simple one. And then I started exploring all those other things. You know, how can you calm the nervous system? Yeah. It's super important. So calming the nervous system is one of the best strategies or biohacking tools you can ever use in your life. Yeah. Because if you're nervous and you have to, you know, present in a in a public um, setting where you've got 100 people watching you, calming your nervous system before you stand up and present will absolutely accelerate your performance in that moment. Yeah. Because the the butterflies are dissipating and and you're you're calm and you're centered and you're collected and you're able to be present with your thoughts rather than having them race around your head. Yeah. So, I th- uh, yeah. And obviously improving your response so you're not having these like knee-jerk reactions to situations when you're in that hyper-reactive um, state. Mm. Um, but also just for your own mental well-being, regardless of whether or not you present publicly, regardless of whether or not, you know, you're having situations of conflict that arise in your life. I think we all do, but some people choose to like cut all these things out so they don't have that. But if you're still anxious, you need to support your nervous system. Yeah, the nervous system is a really interesting thing. So obviously looking at the parasympathetic, sympathetic, we've had a respiratory scientist, sleep scientist, everyone's coming on, even a Buddhist nun talking about it. It just keeps popping up. And even experience for me working with people that have experienced trauma or people that are trying to perform better in the boxing ring, there's a big element of nervous system regulation that comes into that. Definitely. So where do adaptogens come into it? So adaptogens are what I call an amphoteric um, natural herb. So they're grown – so herbal medicines are grown out in nature. We've been using them for thousands of years in um, traditional cultures. And so we, we do a lot of research on those now. Um, and we, we've got, I guess, a lot more scientific credibility behind what they do. So a good example is withania mm. or ashwagandha, which is becoming quite popular. And that's a traditional Ayurvedic herb. And it, it's been used as a, a tonifying herb for centuries in Ayurvedic medicine. But essentially it helps to support your body's ability to adapt to situations when you're not well yep. or when you're stressed or when you're um, exhausted. So it's been used like that for, for, for a very long time. Same with Korean ginseng. So Korean ginseng is also another adaptogen herb, and it helps to improve um, mental output, cognitive performance, energy, stress adaptation, 
improves sleep when you're having it during the day because your ability to actually relax improves at night because mm. it's actually improving the cortisol levels in the morning and regulates cortisol levels at night. Withania does the exact same thing, so ashwagandha does that as well. Mm. Then it, it works to um, support your hormones, so it helps to improve your sex hormones. So Korean ginseng is used as a, a natural libido stimulant for within Chinese culture and it works very well. There's clinical studies to prove that as well. Actually supports gut health, believe it or not. Really? So there's, you know, some really great evidence behind what these herbal medicines can do and the adaptogens particularly. But I see them as they they help get your body back to a state of that homeostasis quicker. Mm. That's what I see them doing. Yeah. So do you use them as an as-needs basis or is it something you would take long-term? Because I imagine some people go, you know what, my lifestyle is very stressful. I have kids, I have a you know career, all these things. I'm just going to take an adaptogen for the rest of my life to keep striving and keep pushing. Look, I think in most circumstances, I don't think you should be doing it that way. I think you should be taking it for periods of time when you need it. I think you can still achieve and strive and do well without taking an adaptogen every single day. Mm. Perhaps you need to get yourself into a state of good homeostasis first before you do that. So then it would be ideal for that. Or as you go through your life journey, your lifespan or your health span, you might need it several times throughout your lifespan. Mm. Like, for example, I'm taking it right now. I'm in the process of establishing a business and I've got quite a lot going on. Um, So for me... I need it right now, but that's not to say I'm going to need it in three months. I can probably sort of settle down a little bit more. I'm still striving and still achieving, Mm. but do I need to be making sure that I I need this adaptogen in that period of time? Maybe not. But I do see things like adaptogens and dietary supplements as almost like health insurance in those periods of time when you do need it. They will allow you to push your body further and almost act as like a protection um, so that you don't fall off the edge and, and burn out quickly. Yeah. So that's where I think adaptions come in and they do a really, really, really great job. But if you continue to burn yourself and continue to push the boundaries, you're probably going to eventually burn the candle from both ends and, and become depleted. Yeah. So I don't think it's going to protect you from all of that, but it's definitely going to help in an acute circumstance. Yeah, okay. Interesting that you mentioned acutely because I imagine a lot of people would just go, you know what, I'm going to push it forever. And they wonder why the body gives up. Yeah. What's the difference between someone that's looking to heal? So take a supplementation to heal the body, whether it's healing the nervous system, healing the gut, improved as physical and mental symptoms compared to someone out there that's looking to push performance and improve their cognitive capacity and other things. What What's the process for that? The process, well, I guess both of the same. It's about trying to work out what's going to be the most indicated for you. Um, in either circumstance. So if there is sort of illness or disease or symptoms, we need to get to the um, the root cause of what that is and, and untap that and, and work to heal or remove the building blocks, I guess, from facilitating healing because the body heals itself. These things are just tools to help heal, heal the body. When we're looking at biohacking or improving performance um, so that you take yourself from a, a healthy state to a accelerated state, it is quite different. So it's mm. about using... Um, agents that we know um, have an improvement on performance. So again, adaptogens are often used in this circumstance, but a lot of amino acids are used in these circumstances. So it's increasing the availability of those nutrients to be able to push that part a little bit further. Hmm. And then we also use things like, um, you know, the more newer um, biomolecules like NMN or nicotinamide riboside, which um, act to increase our um, 
our cellular health and acts to increase our cellular energy and we know is um, indicated in improved longevity. Yeah. So we use things like that. So there's lots of them, lots of different ones at our, I guess, our disposal. And you can do a bit of research. Like if you're wanting to improve athletic performance, you can use things like tribulus and you can use things like um, spermidine as an example, which is a compound actually found in some foods. But spermidine um, helps to like push athletic performance. Yeah. So it's amazing. So th- there's a lots of different tools at our uh, disposal for biohacking as there are for when you're not well. And it's just about finding what's right for you and, and your circumstance because no, no two people are equal. No two person's goals are equal, let alone their underlying health and their body, their mm. constitution. So we work with all of those. Yeah, I love that it's a personalised approach. When you do that, can you run us through, I know we are talking before about people doing stool samples, blood tests, what's involved? Because a lot of people out there, you know what, I'm just going to go grab random supplements. They don't track anything. They don't measure anything. You know, when's the time and a place to use the supplement? How do you know that it's going to be the suitable one to have? Well, that's, that's where um, I guess our training as um, nutritionists, naturopaths and functional medicine practitioners come in and even integrative doctors where we're sort of trained on we know X does what. But if you're on a self-learning journey and you want to know for yourself, the best real way to, to work out if something's right for you is to, I guess, firstly find out what it is that's wrong. Mm. Um, and then unfortunately, like the best way to do that is through some um, external support from a healthcare professional. But researching and learning about these ingredients and what they do it's accessible to everybody if you really want to learn it if you if you feel like it's easier to outsource it to someone who specializes in it outsource it to someone that specializes in it because as as they say like you know some we can't always do everything but if it's something that you're very passionate about and you want to learn for yourself please like you know you should be empowered to do that so you can research so for example with biohacking say neuro um performance so if you're into e-gaming as an example, you might start researching that acetylcholine is really, really great for that and what dose and you can actually find that information quite readily on the internet. And then you might find out that, you know, Bacopa or Brahmi as its other name is really good at X amount of dose with the equivalent of um, the um, Bacopicides. So that's the active constituent. So it's about finding that information and then finding the right supplement that marries up to it. Yeah. And you can do that. You can quite easily do that all with Googling. Yeah. Well, I I think it's interesting you're talking about marrying up the information that is available with the correct supplement because not all supplements are created equal, as we were talking about. And I think it's where a lot of people get stuck. So I'll try this and it just didn't work for me. Yeah. So um, what I tend to see, and this is something I'm really, really passionate about because I am a big advocate for – people being able to heal themselves and have access to these things in pharmacies. The challenge is a lot of these products are made because there's a commercial need for it to be at a certain price point. And so a lot of brands will have to compromise on quality or not to say it's bad quality, but it's not at the the, the level of what a clinical trial product is mm. in order to be able to make something that's affordable and competitive in the market so consumers will consider buying it mm. and so you, yeah you end up with a supplement um that costs you know 30 40 dollars and it's affordable and consumers won't bat an eyelid at buying it but then you've got if you were to put the better quality ingredient that is efficacious and we know has good scientific data behind it because it's been clinically trialed by the developer of that particular herb that or that compound in the way that they've extracted it they would then 
need to be paying $80 for a supplement. And so someone's always going to pick whatever looks like better value on the label. Yeah. And it's very hard to discern as someone who hasn't been, I guess, trained to know what to look for. Yeah, it'd be very confusing for most people just trying yeah. to navigate their way through a health journey blindly. It's it's very sad because there's a lot of people out there with good intentions that are health conscious, that yeah. are trying to, maybe they don't have access to the support that they really require. Yeah. And it is so confusing now with social media and Google, there's so much information. Yeah, and look, you got to remember like when you're seeing things on social media, a lot of these influencers are being paid to promote certain products. Not saying that they're all bad or... I mean, there's a lot of amazing products out there. In Australia, we're very fortunate. A lot of the products in our in our market are actually of a much higher caliber or tier than what you can see in other places in the world because mm. we have such an amazing um, framework where we're um, based off the Canadian system. So the, the TGA really protects us. So we're mm. very lucky that a lot of shit doesn't get through. But that's not to say that some shit doesn't get through. Not saying that the TGA is not trying to do their job, but you know, unfortunately there are little entrepreneurs out there that have no idea about health that just want to make a product and they're, they're doing it with good intention. And I don't think anyone ever does make a health product without good intention. Mm. It's just they may be ill-informed or the commercial realities outweigh, um, unfortunately, the the benefit of having um, something that's better quality because if they don't um, make it commercially viable, no one's going to buy it. Yeah. Yeah, which is scary. And you also get a lot of people out there that really, they're very early on in their life. So their early 20s, they haven't really had a lot of damage, that much stress. It's really had an effect on them as of yet. Yeah. So, you know, they can live off, uh, what's a random thing someone could live off, cupcake diet. And they look fit and healthy and they've got no issues yet until they're 30 and everything yeah. pops up. It's, it's funny, but people go, you know, I want to look like that guy. Yeah. It's a very interesting thing. I know there was plenty of points in my life where I looked really healthy, but I probably wasn't living the healthiest lifestyle at that time that looking from the outside in, you wouldn't have had a clue. Yeah, and it's really interesting that you make that point. So everything we do throughout our entire life will have some sort of impact on our health span over time. So even though you can kind of push your boundaries in your 20s and live like crap and I remember this guy that we used to be friends with Rowan he lived off meagering for seven months yeah. he ate nothing but meagering for seven months and he felt like shit at the end of it but he was fine when he was doing it yeah. he's like yeah I'm thriving I'm thriving off meagering and you know eventually it caught up on him but like in the moment like we can we think in our you know our younger more vital years that we can push ourselves and you know not take care of ourselves um to to um, such a extreme mm. like that um, where he wasn't even consuming any protein. Like, I mean, meagering is literally like MSG, a bit of salt <laughs> and has some refined wheat. Like yeah. it's, it's really not good for any of us. I mean, occasionally it's okay, but yeah. I wouldn't be advocating it as your primary food source. But yeah. um, anyway, so everything we do has a cumulative effect. So what we do in our, as a child is going to impact our whether or not we're going to live to 100. Yep. So all of it plays a part. So it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure, but there's not to say that we don't have some really great tools to help facilitate it. And just because your biological age says today that your, you know, or your your actual true age is 35, but your biological age when you do a test says that you're 40, doesn't mean you can't reverse that. And do some some good work to to improve that. You yeah. can, but just take into consideration that every decision that we do make, if we abuse our bodies it will have some sort of impact at some stage. So looking at the accumul uh, blah, 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 accumulative effect of yes. the things that we do throughout our life, yeah, for a moment, bit of a tongue twister there for me, but throughout that period, 
how long does it take to heal if you have had issues? Look, it really depends on what's going on, but um, a good uh, analogy would be like if you've had, you've come down with just absolute fatigue, you've got, you know, essentially maybe a diagnosis of something like chronic fatigue syndrome and you've been, you know, exhausted for about three months, I'd imagine that we could get you back to a good place within two months. Yeah. Or a much better place. Someone who's had chronic gut issues, they might have irritable bowel um, or something like that, uh, IBS, and they've had it going on for, you know, three or so years. It might take about a year to get yeah. back to a good place. So it really, really depends, but it's not as long as some people think. If you're doing the right things and you're really um, supporting it with not just your supplements but with diet and lifestyle, you'll get there a lot quicker. Yeah. You threw out an alarming statistic before. I think it was one in three, was it, that it has a, over the age of 15? One in two. One in two. Can you share what one that in stat two was? Australians, one in two Australians has a chronic disease over the age of 15. Wow. Isn't that concerning? Yeah. So we're living longer, but we're not living healthier. Yeah, so the quality of life is greatly diminishing yeah. as well, despite so, the ageing population. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And as someone who's had... So I, um, long story short, I am not a complete perfect person either. So I was pushing my body pretty hard a couple of years ago and I ended up getting a case of gastroenteritis. So um, gastro from childcare. Thank you, my darling son, uh, for bringing that home. Um, that place, Those places are cesspot of germs, aren't they? Mm. And I ended up- um, Good old childcare days. Good old childcare days. Whatever plague will go through that place <laughs> one week for the next. <laughs> And I, I caught this really bad case of gastro and I was really working so hard. Like I was I, – like I'll be quite honest, I was abusing my body a little bit mm. and I got this really case, bad case of gastro and I ended up having seven months of gastritis. Wow. So when I say gastritis, it's inflammation of the stomach lining. So everything I ate basically wouldn't sit right mm. and I was in burning pain and I would be up most nights of the week with nausea – thinking I'm going to be vomiting everywhere, didn't actually vomit everywhere, but felt like I would and I couldn't sleep. Hmm. So, you know, be lucky if I got two, three hours sleep a night yeah. when I was going through that phase. So obviously I had to do quite a lot of gut healing work and I've been part of a lot of Facebook groups where people are there to support each other through these sorts of illnesses. Um, gastritis is one that's very, very common. And these individuals are living off rice. They're living off... Um, you know, mashed potato because their body actually physically won't tolerate anything else. They get that bad. Wow. And they can't live and they're going into hospital to have these like um, these drinks, these cocktails to help soothe the inflammation and they get discharged again. Like they, you know, they can't heal it because it's just got so bad because they abuse themselves so much. Mm. I mean, yes, you can eventually heal from these, but I guess the point I'm making is like any of us can get a chronic illness. I'm touch wood completely healed it now, but I experienced firsthand how debilitating a chronic illness is. Couldn't go out to dinner with friends. Mm. They literally couldn't eat anything because even salt added to my food caused pain. Yeah. It was horrendous. It is horrendous. We are running out of time, Dee. I've really enjoyed the conversation and we're going to have to have you back if you're happy to come back. Not how too. can people find you in the meantime? Um, so I have a website, www.longjevita, so longjevita, wellness.com.au. 
So I'm, I'm a practicing clinician, um, but I'll also be um, doing quite a lot in the personalized nutrition space soon. So watch this space, sign up to the, the newsletter and yeah, look forward to reconnecting again soon. Yeah, it was amazing work. Thank you for sharing a part of your personal story. There's so many other things that I wanted to cover. So definitely going to have to have you back soon. Dee, it was great to see you. Everyone, we will be back next week. I think today is episode 38. So two more until we hit 40. Thanks, guys. Hi, everybody. This is Wit from Spiderbait. When I'm passing through Karam, aside from slowing down to 50 kilometres an hour and reminisces about doing the Eel Race Road Rumba or the Watley Street Wiggle, I like to tune in to Radio Karam and get down with the good vibes.